Welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, where cancer survivors, caregivers, and others touched by cancer share their stories. The Max Mallory Foundation presents this podcast in honor and memory of Max Mallory, who died at age 22 from testicular cancer. I'm your host, Joyce Lofstrom, a young adult and adult cancer survivor, and Max's mom. Hello, this is Joyce, and welcome back to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, our weekly podcast. And today my guest is Nate Gautier, who uh, is a testicular cancer survivor and is here to talk about his journey and just tell us a little bit more about his life. So, Nate, I'm so glad you could join me. Did I get your last name pronounced correctly? <laughs> yes, Joyce. Uh, Nate got here and, and definitely excited to be here on the show. Thank you for having me. So, my first question is typically just, you know, to tell us about your journey with testicular cancer, what happened when, anything you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, well, goodness, I'm an open book, so it's pretty easy to, to get me to open up about the experience. And um, it was life-changing in, in all of the uh, good ways at the end. Obviously, we, upon diagnosis, it's always really earth-shattering. And um, what I love about your podcast, I've listened to uh, a few episodes, is that you have an emphasis on, on younger cancer patients. So I think that's really unique. So thank you for giving us all a uh, space to, to share, but uh, to get kind of at the beginning of my story would have been in late 2018, December, uh, November, uh, November, December, 2018, I had noticed uh, just a small little nodule um, on one of my testicles after a shower. And as most men do, stubborn men, uh, myself included in that category, uh, you wait two weeks and you hope it goes away. And for me, it didn't. I took another shower in two weeks. Um, and when it didn't go away, it actually really bothered me this time, and it really kind of shook me to my core and scared me, and I got really anxious and kind of uh, live actually kind of about 100 miles from St. Louis, and I was headed up towards um, I-55, kind of towards St. Louis. I worked in a, a bank at the time. I was a regional manager of an insurance broker um, working inside of a bank, and I had this window on my office door, and it was really nice because if if I was seeing a client, um, if somebody came in, the uh, receptionist could walk down the hall and kind of see me on the phone or see that I was with people and she'd kind of wave at me, let me know that she needed my attention. Super convenient um, in that case, but not so much if you're crying. And so I was, oh, right. mm -hmm. yeah, I was really upset and uh, I was on the phone with my wife and I was just kind of panicked and I, you know, I completely diagnosed myself at that point with testicular cancer and assumed the worst and I was just really, really spent. And so I um, asked my wife, I said, um, you know, I don't know what to do. And, and, and she said, well, what can I do to help? And I think that's the beautiful part of my story. And the, the part that I really enjoy getting to share with people is, is just that my wife is my calm to my storm. And so I said, well, schedule me an appointment, you know, frantically. And she, uh, she said, okay. So she sent me the, uh, the lady uh, to get a hold of uh, to schedule an appointment. And the story really continues on from there. I don't want to speak out of turn too much. And um, if you have any questions up to this point, I'm certainly happy to pause. But that was the beginning. Well, uh, I'm glad that your wife was your uh, calming force uh, in the diagnosis. I know how important that is. And so I think that can make a big difference uh, in, for any of us when we have a really supportive 
spouse, family member, whoever can help us get through the the next steps of it. So, so you were going to go to a doctor. So can we learn more about the doctor? What kind of physician was he? And did you have to go to St. Louis for that doctor? If you want to share that? Of course. Yeah, no, I, I can, um, I can probably speak for most cancer patients in that when you get asked to tell your story, you never know how many details are too many. <laughs> and so I like to kind of pause and make sure I'm obviously on a podcast here, so I can't see your facial expressions, but I just want to make sure I'm not, um, not still in the show. <laughs> no, no it's, it's your show. <laughs> well, I, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to, to continue from there. So I, you know, really panicked with my wife on the phone. And then the next thing, and the most vivid memory from there is speaking to the lady scheduling the appointment. And so, you know, I had got the doctor's number to call and I remember I called and I left a voicemail and then they said, uh, the next day she called back and it was very sobering because, uh, you know, I'm thinking they're going to see me the next day. Well, I mean, 2018, um, going into 2019, you remember that the healthcare crisis has been going for a while now. So the doctor's offices, even before the pandemic, have been really, really swamped. And so uh, she, she says over the phone, the lady booking the appointment, she goes, okay, well, he can't see you until November 28th, and it'll be at this time. And... Uh, yeah, so we'll see you then. I said, well, well d- d- don't you need to know, don't you know what's wrong? And she goes, no, <laughs> yeah. the doctor will take care of it when he sees you. Click. Oh, so boy. Was a, yeah, it was a really, I mean, just got chills kind of retelling that part of, uh, you know, getting to wait to see the doctor because it was around this time in 2018. It was October, so it was about a month and a half till I got to see the doctor. And that little nodule that I told you about on my testicle actually grew to two sizes the size of my testicle in a month and a half. And so I uh, got in to see the doctor. And I remember at the end of the appointment, the doctor was really cool, very suave about it. Um, I had told him, hey, I've got this thing. If you could check it out, I'd really appreciate it. And he goes, yeah, okay. And kind of acknowledged it, went on. And then near the end of the appointment, uh, he goes, okay, how about we stand up and drop him? And just as cool and just as, as casual as that, you know, did an examination and then walked back over to his computer. And he goes, you know, Nate, anytime that we have something on our privates, we probably just want to get some pictures. So that day, he actually sent me to the radiology department um, to get an ultrasound on my testicles. And I had a very, Joyce had a very human moment leaving the radiology center that day. And I'll always be so thankful to the lady, the radiology tech that actually uh, did the examination. And so, you know, she's talking to me and she could probably just smell the fear and, and yeah. feel the anxiety as she's completing the uh, exam. And then there's this long white hallway at the radiology center that I went to and long white hallway with two double doors at the end. And as you know, she's the tech, right? She's not the radiologist, so she can't tell me anything. And as she's opening the doors and she walked me all the way down that long white hallway, she puts her hand on the small of my back and she goes, Good luck. Oh, I hate that. I hate when they say good luck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you look back and yes, I can't say that I didn't hate hearing that immediately because you're just like that. That's not normal. Why? What? But what she was doing is she was preparing me because the next day I got a phone call from that same doctor. And I don't know about you, Joyce, but I don't really know any medical doctor uh, that stutters or sounds 
panicked when they call. But again, the doctor was just being very, very genuinely human. And he gives me a call and he goes, Hey, uh, Nate, uh, that thing that's down there shouldn't be there. And, uh, we want to get you see you, uh, get you see you to the specialist by before the end of the week. But, uh, did you say that your marathon was this weekend? And I was going to St. Jude, um, in Memphis, Tennessee that weekend to run the, the marathon with my sister and my good friend. And, and so I go, yeah, marathons this weekend. And he goes, well, uh, uh, just go ahead and run your race and then we'll see you first thing Monday morning. Got to see the specialist. It's booked in the afternoon. Be there. Boy, I guess he hadn't told many patients about uh, having cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Actually, that's a great point that you bring up because he told me that I was his first testicular cancer patient. And so he was probably not used to it. But, uh, you know, all of these little tiny kind of micro occurrences and kind of beginning warning signs were really helpful because one of the biggest parts of my story, Joyce, is that I was very, very much in self-denial with what was happening. I was 28 years old at the time. I was in the best shape of my life. It was my second marathon for the year and I felt genuinely good. You know, I was drinking a a gallon of water a day and, and just the best shape of my life. And so to have this kind of strange thing happen right before my, my second marathon to end out the year was, was odd. It was, it was there definitely very um, unorthodox for the way that I felt about how my, my physical fitness was going. So I go, I run the marathon. I come back that morning, work for about a half a day, and then the appointments in the afternoon. And I remember going to the specialist office. And again, this is where my wife comes back in. And I, I love telling this part of, of uh how she kind of got me to snap out of it, but I'm just angry. And I remember I was writing my name, my date of birth, my address, and I'm just filling out what I would consider to be the stupid paperwork. And my wife, she walks in and she meets me there in the waiting room and she goes, are you okay? I said, I'm just mad. This doesn't make sense. This is, this is so dumb. And my wife has a wonderful sense of humor. And so she knew that I was emotionally spent and not dealing well with what was happening. So we get called back to see the urologist, the specialist, and and we start cracking jokes. <laughs> and we start saying, oh, they're probably gonna have to cut it off. <laughs> and it was it was very young, but it was it was a moment of clarity for us to just be able to take a step back, even though everything seemed to be flying at us on a hundred miles an hour, to to create some humor. So the doctor walks in and he goes, uh, Nate, uh, if, if you would, I'm going to go ahead and excuse your wife and we'll do just a simple examination and I'll invite her back in. I said, yeah, sure. That's fine. So I remember, uh, you know, dropping my pants and, and him asking questions that I thought I was answering well. And he definitely was in his mind, I was raising more red flags. And so he goes, does it hurt? I was like, oh no, no, no doc. It didn't hurt at all. And he's like, Hmm. Hmm. And he goes, well, you know, you don't have any pain. Uh, do you have any history of testicular cancer in, in your family? And I said, no, no, not at all. And he goes, okay, all right, we'll, we'll get dressed. And he invites my wife back in and he looks at me and it was a very ghost like moment because there was this sincerity and genuine concern And he says, you need to come back in tomorrow morning 
at 6 a.m. for immediate removal of the testicle. You need to have an immediate surgery. Oh, boy. Well, that does say a lot right there, doesn't it? So, yeah. And I, you know, I just, at that moment in time, Joyce, I was, I was a little too cocky to accept what he was telling me to do. And I wasn't, wasn't trying to be rude. It was just a genuine response of, Hey doc, the thing is like, that really doesn't work for my schedule. I've got some, I've got some work I got to get done. How, how does two weeks sound? And he oh. goes, and he goes, Nate, you really don't want to wait on this. You really don't want to wait on this. So my wife, as she does, always looking out for me. Um, I call her Kay. Her name is Kristen. She's a basketball coach uh, at the high school in the town that we live, and just a just a phenomenal person. And she uh, she helps get the appointment and surgery set up immediately for six a.m. the next morning. Um, and again, I. I don't want to speak too much because I'm sure you have questions, but uh, that's, that's again, the beginning. Uh, right before we went into uh, go of one of three surgeries followed by a lot of chemotherapy. But again, I, I want to take a breath and make sure that um, I'm speaking clearly enough for you. No, you are, Nate. And I think you bring up, uh, I think, something that all cancer patients have faced and uh, specifically testicular cancer, but it's when you really don't know for sure what you have, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a lump in my neck. Is it thyroid cancer, which is what I've had? Or mm. is it this, you know, and it's, and then once you hear it, like the way the doctor told you not to wait and come in the next morning, you kind of, you don't want to believe it. I think too, it's a bit of a relief, but as you were saying, you were just, I, you don't think it's, um, that you have to be that quick about it, but he knew. And so, um, as mm-hmm. you said earlier, it's good your wife was there to, to take control of the appointment and make sure that you do it. So, but I think <laughs> your reaction, but your reaction to me was very normal. It's, then I've talked to other testicular cancer survivors who said the same thing. They want me mm-hmm. to come in the next day, but I really want to, how about next week? And they're like, mm-hmm. no, you have to come in. So, mm-hmm. So what happened next? Yeah, it's it's all so shocking. And you truly feel like you are living in this dreamlike state. And the best way I describe it to anybody, and I think I may have heard another gentleman say something similar from your show, is that it's like you're living in a movie, but you're the main character. And what stinks is every night you go to sleep, you wake up, it's still real. <laughs> it doesn't go away. And so, you know, from that point, um, we go in and it's about 530 in the morning. And again, Joyce, you'll, you'll learn I'm just a goofy guy and I'm completely comfortable in, in my skin in that. And I'm taking selfies with my wife, you know, inappropriately. I'll be very candid, you know, last two ball picture and just, you know, trying to make any type of sense of the unbelievable chaos and and how crazy scared I am at this point. And, you know, so we complete the surgery and then biopsy, right? I mean, you, you had thyroid cancer, you got to get a biopsy to find out if it's what it is. And so about a week to the day, I'll never forget about a week to the day, I was in that same office where I was crying uh, on the phone with my wife and the doc calls and he says, well, Nate, uh, this is the specialist at this point. And he was so, uh, I'm just so thankful 
uh, for the way that he delivered this message. But he goes, it looks like we got some testicle cancer. Um, it's called embryonal carcinoma. And he goes, you know, it's pretty rare to be diagnosed with this strand. Um, about 2 to 3% of people are diagnosed with, with this one. And if it were an animal, it'd be a meaner one. And he said, we need to refer to you to oncology. We, we might have to do some treatments. And it's the, it's the next step. And Joyce, when I get news that's heavy, and especially this, I mean, it was the heaviest news I'd ever received, I kind of just shut off my emotions. And so I, I called my wife and very monotone, very apathetic, uh, relayed the information. And she just started crying, you know, and it was, it was hard oh. for me because I have, in kind of a defense mechanism way, shut off my emotions so that I can just drive home from work. And she is, she's sobbing and I'm not consoling her because again, I was very selfish at this point and very unaware of the severity of what was happening. And so she said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to call my parents. I'm going to tell them. And I said, okay. And I remember driving back uh, down highway 55 to the, uh, the city uh, that, that we live and just, you know, it's almost like a blankness. Your, your mind is a, a bit overwhelmed and it doesn't really know how to process nor what the next thing to do is. And, you know, I can't imagine what it was like for you. Did I listen to one of your podcasts that you also were diagnosed with that thyroid uh, cancer when you were young? Yes, uh, I was 25 and I was uh, a food editor and a restaurant critic at the Daily Herald newspaper, which oh, is wow. Chicago suburbs. Cool. Yeah, it was pretty shocking to me, too. And, you know, I don't think I realized what it meant uh, when they, you know, they removed my thyroid gland and there were some lymph nodes that were also malignant. But back, this was, well, how many years ago? 42 years ago. And so mm. it's quite different in terms of how they, you know, monitored it and so forth. But it's the same as you're saying. It's you're just shocked, and you know I was alone in the city, meaning my family was uh, in Kansas City, where I'm from, and I had really good girlfriends that got me. <laughs> that, so mm. that's awesome. I, you know, from from that point, you know, getting told, hey, you got to go to oncology. I mean, again, we're looking at December 2018, and so it's getting close to Christmas. You know, and so yes. we, we end up going to uh, the cancer center. And I remember two to three weeks before, Joyce, I had just completed that marathon. So I'm still, even though I had that surgery, I'm still feeling that I'm, I'm not the guy. You know, I'm young. I'm in shape. Hopefully they got it all with the surgery. Everything's going to be fine. And so we get to the cancer center and it's my wife, myself, and my father-in-law. And the doctor looks across the room and he goes, Nate, I think you need to complete 20 rounds or 20 cycles of chemotherapy. Um, you're going you're gonna to get sick. You're probably going to need to call your employer, see if you have a short-term disability policy because it's, it's likely that you'll need to, to make a claim. You'll, you're likely to lose all your hair. You're going you know, to be, be pretty down for a while. And I just couldn't fathom that what he was saying was was true. And it wasn't a disbelief in him. It was a disbelief in what was happening. And I, you know, I remember sitting there and I go, Doc, I, I, I go, I'm literally dumbfounded right now. I cannot believe what you're saying. And he goes, you know, in a very kind and, and calm way, he's like, well, let me, let me break it down for you. And he opened up 
basically a, a national treatment plan across the U.S. Um, of what happens when you're diagnosed with testicular cancer and what you should do following that diagnosis. And, you know, he, he said, you know, I really believe this is what you need to do and we need to go and move forward with getting your port surgery. I hated my port. I don't know if, uh, if they had ports whenever you had thyroid cancer. Do you remember? Well, I didn't have chemo and I don't know if they had ports. So I did not have to go through anything like that. Goodness. My, well, yeah. yeah, well, a port, the port was, it's, it's very convenient and helpful and useful to cancer patients. So any cancer patients listening uh, to your show, obviously it's like a love hate relationship. <laughs> and I was on the hate side, but it, you know, it, they basically do a surgery where a port is a kind of silicone, silicone diamond shaped looking piece that can be pierced. Um, and then it has a long tube um, that connects to one of the main veins of your heart, uh, kind of a long silicone piece. It's kind of eerie uh, to think about a port being inside your body. Obviously, it allows you to have blood draws and receive the medications, the chemotherapy, the saline, any anything that they need to administer or take as far as samples from your body, they can. And it, it really is a good device. I just, my dog's used it as a launching pad. We have two little Yorkshire Terriers and they like to jump on my chest and just use that little area as uh, something oh, that was, boy. yeah, it was, it, was not, it was not pleasant. But, you know, we, we set up the port surgery and, and as we're walking out of the oncologist's office, I remember just not being able to speak. And there was like this part of me that was so dumbfounded that I was just, I was, I was, ah, this sounds bad and I hope it's all right to use an expression, but I, I felt like in a vegetable state of just nothingness. I could not speak. I was frozen with fear and, and shocked emotion. And I just sat there and my wife is setting up the, the surgery. And I just remember every time she would ask me a question, I would just kind of look at her and shake my head in like a yes motion because I just was not in the room. And so we, we set up the, the port surgery and on January 7th, 2019, I was scheduled to start chemotherapy. Okay. And Joyce, the only way I know how to explain what happened in the next 24 to 48 hours after setting everything in motion is that I completely freaked out and, and I knew I could not move forward. And so I called uh, the next day or the day after, and I canceled the port surgery. I called the oncologist's office. I told him, I cannot do this. I'm not ready. I was very thankful for my oncologist, who is a great friend to this day. Uh, but he called me at home later in that evening when I had called his nurse and canceled the appointment. And, and he was gracious and he was kind. And he said, he said, you know, Nate, that's okay. He goes, I, I understand. And he, it, was, it was like a hesitation. He was trying to be more of a human than a doctor. And you could definitely tell he knew that I needed to process everything that was happening. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and so I, for a week, you know, I just went out into the woods and I screamed at God and I cried. I took half days off of work when I just emotionally could not go to the bank and sit there and, and try to help people when I was really just very, very in, internal at this point. After about a week, I, I remember texting my, my father-in-law, who's a, a great mentor and advocate in my life, and just said, hey, I, I need to get breakfast. Can we get breakfast in the morning? And we had breakfast, and I said, I think I'm ready. And his face was just shocked because obviously, you know, his daughter, my wife, is thinking Nate's going to die. He's not going to take care of himself. He's not going to fight. He's just going to let this take over. And 
to hear that I was ready to start treatment was a, a breath of fresh air for my family. Oh, I'm sure it was. And I think what you did, Nate, is is commendable because a lot of people may not have the strength to do what you did, which is cancel the surgery and tell the doctor who accepted it, you need time to you just kind of think through it and process it. And you did, and then you were ready to move ahead. And so I, I called back and I rescheduled the port surgery and and then I said, hey, can I start chemotherapy on, on, on schedule? And they said, no, you're behind now. You'll, you'll have to start chemotherapy uh, the following week on January 14th, which will be a Monday. They said, you'll get your port on a Thursday. You'll recover over the weekend from surgery. And then on Monday, you'll start chemo. And so on January 14th, 2019, um, I started chemotherapy January 14th is my birthday. Oh. And so I, I actually had had a nice dinner with family and friends over the weekend. And I, I told them little choked up sometimes yeah. <laughs> choice retelling this, but, uh, I told them, I said, you know, Monday I'm going to work. I don't want to talk about my birthday. I let's just, let's go and, and start chemo. And, and so I did, I wore a Batman shirt and I had these Batman socks that had little yellow capes on them. And, you know, I was just scared out of my mind. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a goofy character and I just try to make the most out of every situation. And I really do love bringing people joy and laughter and, and being able to make them smile. And so I just, as a kid, scared out of his mind, woke up that morning and put on my Batman shirt and went to work. Yeah, that's great. And I think that piece of humor probably helped you as well. <laughs> I, I know my son, Max, when he had chemo, he had all these, you know, those kind of goofy socks you can buy that are mm -hmm. video game characters or mm -hmm. something oh, yeah. on it, you know, that kind of thing. And so he wore those a lot to chemo. So mm. makes a difference. So, okay. So now you've got the chemo starting. How did it go? Yeah, it was uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I hated, I hated chemo and, um, you know, I remember the first day that I got there, um, I'm six, five and, and, I, you know, ever since I was 17 years old, I could grow a full beard, you know, just all my friends were, were, uh, pretty envious of that. And I, you know, I remember talking to my uh, oncology nurses and I had this one oncology nurse, her name was Vicky. And we, we got very close through the process and she was very kind and very sarcastic and would, uh, just meet me where I was at. We had a good relationship of kind of, um, kind of a tennis match of, of who could, um, you know, really just the banter of, of camaraderie between knowing that I was going through a stressful situation, but she could still kind of, kind of roast me from time to time and make me laugh, you know? And so yeah. Vicky, she, she leaned down when she was, you know, kind of getting my vitals and, and she said, uh, she said, Oh, you have a beard. Well, what if you lose your beard? And I said, Oh, I won't lose my beard. <laughs> and um you know yeah. about about a, after the first week of chemotherapy i had a really uh, impactful story that I'll, I'll tell you about that's called the what i call my pain on the wall story i remember i was uh, we had a kind of a minor league baseball team that had just moved into the city uh, in cape Girardeau, missouri where where we're where we live and so i was like well you know what um i'm probably gonna lose my my hair so i want to go and grab a um you know, grab a catfish, Cape catfish uh, ball cap. And so I, 
I'm driving down the road and I'm wearing these kind of white joggers and I'm looking down. I keep seeing this hair on these white jogger pants. I'm like, what in the world is going on? This is so weird. And Joyce says, I'm driving. I, again, this is after the, the first round of chemo. I, uh, I start grabbing my hair and it just starts coming out in clumps. Right. And so I parked by the fan store and I didn't even go in. I just immediately teared up, put my car in drive. Uh, my wife had texted me and I was off of work, obviously recovering from chemotherapy. And she asked if I could grab her a drink. And so I grabbed the drink and walked into her office and I just kind of sat it down and you could just see my whole body was flexed. And I was just, just fighting these tears. Oh, I know. And she, <laughs> choking a little choking up a little bit and she goes she goes are you okay and I just walked over her trash can and I just started pulling out clumps of my hair and throwing it away oh boy yes I know and she goes yeah go ahead I was just gonna say did you decide to shave it off then or (laughs) yeah pretty pretty dramatically just you know called up my my stylist that evening and asked her if she could get me in, and then I had two other friends call and say, "Hey, can your stylist also shave our heads?" <laughs> oh wow, that's yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it was really special. And so they uh, they all showed up, and we shaved our heads and took a couple pictures, and then posted them actually on Facebook. and And all of my friends started shaving their heads all over the country. It was really moving and really impactful to just see that much love. Yeah, to kind of jump towards the paint on the wall story, unless you. Had anything yeah, no. there? Don't want to interrupt you. No, no. I'm like I said. This is your story, so please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, thank you for for the opportunity to share. And so, you know, this is backing up a little bit. If you heard about the ball cap story with with my hair falling out, and um, this is this is about day two or three after my first round of chemo, and <sighs> Joyce, looking back at it, it's always so. Um, it's so impactful and also just it wakes me up to think about this moment in time because I had to be isolated even from my wife because if I was to sweat and uh, we were sleeping in the same bed and the chemotherapy was to get onto her, it could make her sick. If I went to the restroom, I had to flush twice. And so it's some, it's some really, really harsh stuff. And so I'm in our guest room and my wife's at work and we, uh, we have kind of this um, gray paint. It's this charcoal kind of dark gray paint on the wall. And I remember just staring at that charcoal paint on the wall. And I, again, I'm very much in self-denial that even this is happening, right? I've had a surgery, I've gone through a week of chemotherapy, but it still just doesn't feel like it's happening to me. I just, I, I, but I'm feeling the, the effects of the chemotherapy. I'm detoxing and it's harsh. And so I'm, very much in a, just a moment of not letting go. And I said, as I'm staring at this charcoal pain and I'm just kind of leaning my head against the wall, just feeling nauseous and sick and sad, so sad. I just, I just spoke loud, uh, audibly. And I said, God, you can have it all. You can have the anxiety, the fear, the nausea. You can have the uncertainty. You can have the anger. And I can't describe what happened in that moment, Joyce, other than that, like, it just felt like God came up behind me and bear hugged me. It was like, come here, you idiot. Like, let's, let's do this together. And it wasn't, it wasn't that every moment from then on was, was easy, but there was just this lightness 
and this really incredible, all-encompassing support that there was something out there bigger than me and bigger than all of us that was um, encouraging me to continue to fight. Uh, well, I think that's very powerful, Nate, because you found the the peace that you needed, but you also found the uh, support that would help you get through this. And I think sometimes it's, uh, I think in Buddhism, it's like that too, where you, there's a, a challenge and instead of trying to push it away, you, you embrace it, it comes to you. And that's what you did with God. You just said, here it is, you know, what am I going to do? And you had that solution. So I think that's wonderful. It's a wonderful story to share with our listeners too. No, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. You know, it, I think, you know, Joyce looking through, you know, completing the four rounds of chemo and, and everything that it taught me. I mean, I did get sick. I did have to um, lose all my hair. I did lay on the couch for six months because I, I truly just had no strength after going through all of that treatment. And, you know, it, it gave me kind of 12 uninterrupted hours with, with God. It gave me 12 uninterrupted hours a day um, to actually examine my life and think about the things that were important. Being alone on the couch when you're a very outward, very outgoing um, guy. I mean, I've worked, um, I've worked in sales since, um, I want to say for forever, because I think we all kind of work in sales in our own way. But, you know, I had, I had been a, a community guy and very outward facing and really loved being around people and then being forced to isolate and wear a mask. I tell people all the time I was wearing a mask before it was cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I I didn't get to see my friends. And so I, I really look at uh, 2019. I probably, I tell people a lot, probably cried more in 2019 than when I was an infant. I'm not ashamed of that. It's just the truth of how unbelievably sad I was to have kind of everything stripped away from me and feel as though my ego was suffocated. My independence was lost. My wife, kind of near the second, third round of chemo, I was, I was too weak actually to, to clean myself. And on the weeks of infusion, you have a port hanging out of your body and it's, it's all taped up and it's a sterile site. Um, it cannot get wet. And so if you want to bathe, you have to, you have to get in the bath. And so I remember my wife, she would wake me up in the morning and she'd have a bath drawn for me and my wife would, she would bathe me, you know, and just that selflessness of knowing that the caretaker, my wife, you know, the caretaker doesn't get a break it really makes you fall in love with that person all over again. No, you're right. And I think you bring up several good points. And uh, one of which is the role of a caretaker and how much all of us who have cancer or any kind of illness where you need someone else to help you, what that person does, the caretaker. I think we forget that sometimes. I know I have um, done that at times too. And I also think, you talked about crying, and I think, you know, Nate, there's so many people, maybe more men than women, and that's a stereotype, but let's just say people who who won't do that. And I think sometimes that the crying is such a relief. It gives you, I mean, you face what's going on, but it's also an outlet for the fear or the tiredness, whatever it is you're experiencing. So I really appreciate that you would share that with us because I think it's important for people to hear that. You know, growing up, 
I didn't have a dad that I ever really saw cry. I think I saw him cry once for like a split second when his parents got divorced. Um, obviously when he was, you know, a father of his own and um, much older in his life, probably in his fifties at that point. And, you know, I, so growing up with that mentality of that, like men don't cry anytime I would cry, I would feel very, very weak and, and fragile and, and not manly. And then, you know, getting older and especially last year and understanding that, you know, vulnerability is actually a strength. It it's is. Not, I agree. It's, it's not a weakness. And, and many people see that showing kind of behind the curtains or the skeletons in the closet is going to make you um, less valid or ruin your credibility. And I don't agree with that, nor believe it, because I think what last year allowed me to do is completely change my entire perspective on life and what's important and truly be present with people and care about the moment. Because even as you and I are, are sitting here talking, I mean, this is all that exists is right now. And so I'm just really thankful for getting to go through suffering to be able to appreciate more and on a, on a much more healthy and realistic level. See, and I really like, again, what you said with that, of being in the moment, because other of the people I've talked to have said the same thing. And I think it's a goal for everyone because it's so easy not to be in the moment. It, you know, you think about whatever it is you're thinking about or something you did that wasn't, you didn't like, or, the, you know, five years ahead. And I'm not saying don't plan, but I think just you're right. All we have is right now this moment where you and I are talking. And so let's focus on that. And that's what we're doing. And that's what's important. And I admire that you found that uh, approach to life so young. I think it's um, something that is just a great way to live. I don't know how else to say it, but that. <laughs> well, thank you. No, it's, there's, there's so much power in the present and there's a lot of beauty in giving somebody the space to be with them and not have your mind anywhere else. You know what? One of the things that I love of, of what you guys do at you know, the Max uh, Mallory Foundation is that you guys, you allow people to have a space to share. And obviously me having the same beastly disease that that your son did prevention is such a huge part and so with your permission i'd really like to talk about just how passionate i am about people making sure that they do an examination no please do i think that's an important message to deliver yeah i mean what is so compelling about understanding this disease is it's an adolescent disease and we don't expect it i think that's why we miss it so often because, you know, the research changed this year, but last year it was boys ages 12 to 26. This year it's, it's changed ages boys 15 to now men at 55 is, is really where we're seeing this disease pop up and, and really, you know, take, take people away from their families. It's, it's sad. And I think what you can do and what we can all do is do a better job of, of knowing that you have a brother, you have a son. You have an uncle, you have a dad, and tell that person to check themselves. I mean, once a month, an examination of your testicles after a shower. I mean, I was lucky. I was fortunate. When we discovered it, it was stage two testicular cancer, and there's only three stages of testicular cancer. And so we caught it early enough that I, I had a chance to fight and to live. And 
you know, I just had a scan on Monday. Actually, I wish you could see me smiling because it's a good, it's a good um, result. But I, I had my three month scans. I get a three month scan every three months, and it was a year. 0.75, right? So I'm right there on the edge. In February, I'll get another scan, but um, uh, of the big two years, but uh, a year, a little over a year and a half, and I'm cancer free still. And I think that's because I was fortunate to to catch it early, and then to have a really active team around me advocating and encouraging me to seek treatment because because you can take care of this beast sometimes if. If you do catch it early and if you do take the precautions. And so I, I always end it with this and I know it's crass, but it's so true. Tell your brother, tell your friends, tell your son to check their balls. Seriously, check your nuts. It's, it's a good thing to remember once a month and it doesn't take but two minutes and it can save your life. No, you're right, Nate. And I'm, I'm glad that you said that. And uh, especially coming from you as a survivor of testicular cancer, and it is a very simple uh, exam to recommend. And it's something that listeners need to hear. And, and as you said, your brothers, your uncles, your whoever that might not know this. And I'm, it's amazing how many people may not know it and are not aware of what you should be doing. So, um, well, I just want to ask you a little bit, because you've touched on so much that was, I mean, it shared so much of your story and what's happened. And so are you still running? Talk. What are you doing now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. That's, that's really kind. So um, I've run several races this year. I think I've run two half marathons this year. I actually went back to St. Jude in 2019, a year later. Um, so after six months of chemo, from about January to, to May or June, and then uh, ended up a year later, I had uh, went down back to, to Memphis and, and ran the half marathon there. About six to eight weeks after chemo, I actually had the, the pleasure to, to go to uh, Manitowoc, Wisconsin with some friends. My buddy in December of 18, 2018 bought me a registration to my favorite race uh, for something to look forward to after chemo. And so I had about had about six to eight weeks to train after chemo and went and ran. That was a toughie. That was that was a difficult one. But we ran a half in Wisconsin in June and then went back to St. Jude. And it, I'll never forget crying at the start line at St. Jude in 2019, December, just because obviously everything that had happened and being back at that start line a year later, almost to the day. But yeah, the, I, uh, I'm still running. Um, I ran a half mile point seven last night because I got COVID a couple weeks back. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm recovered from COVID. It takes a while to get your energy. My wife and I both came down with it. But yes, I, I ran half a mile last night. And I'm actually proud of that. <laughs> well, I would be too, boy. You have really been through a lot in the last couple of years with your health. But you sound like you're doing wonderful and wonderfully, I should say. And I'm glad you're still running because I, the background I read about you was how much that was such a big part of your life. So, and I guess my, my final question is just anything you want to end with. I was going to ask what advice do you have, but I think you've given that advice in terms of the self-exam recommendation, but anything else you want to say to testicular cancer survivors or a young man who thinks he might have it or just any yeah. advice? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, and I think maybe if I'm to follow my, my heart here and 
and just speak off the cuff is, is one, first, just to be kind. You never know what somebody's going through. And so really be cautious and be careful and be intentional about the way that you treat others because you could really help change somebody's life or save their life just by a smile or wave or being present and available to them if they're going through a challenging time. You know, and if, if I'm to think about testicular cancer survivors or, or, or gentlemen going through it right now or maybe headed into it, it's just know that you are not alone, even though you feel very, very alone in that moment and you're scared. There are people that have been there before you and, you know, the ability to trust the process and to be uh, thankful for the support that you get is really, really important. I did a bad job of uh, being thankful of the support I was being given. I was was really too focused on myself. And so I guess my overall anthem and higher uh, arcing message would just be to be more outward than inward. Oh, I like that, Nate. That's a great way to to end our discussion. I think that really is um, very solid advice. So thank you. Uh, and thank you for being so open and just sharing so much of what you went through and, and then how you came out and where you are right now, which sounds like you're in a really um, positive, happy place. Well, Joyce, thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you for giving people like me an opportunity to share. We, we can't thank you enough for just the chance to be able to open up. No, I'm very glad to do it. And thank you for those kind words. And I hope maybe down the road to have you back and just get an update on life and anything else you might want to talk about. So That sounds great. Anytime. Okay. Okay. All right, Nate. I appreciate it. So thank you. Thanks. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me today on Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer from the Max Mallory Foundation. We have a website and it's at maxmalloryfoundation.com where you can learn more about testicular cancer, donate, and also send your ideas for guests on the podcast. And for spelling, Mallory is M-A-L-L-O-R-Y. Please join me next time for Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer.